Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, the hey. what's going on? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Welcome to a post Fright Fest Britflix Podcast. Today I've got with me Marcus Dunstan. Hello, Marcus. Good afternoon, sir. Good <laughs> evening you? from UK. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, who, but who knows what time people are listening to when they get round to hearing it. So it could be any time of day by that point. Um, we're going to talk about The Neighbour, which is already available in the UK on video on demand in all good places. It, it premiered in, at Frightfest, as, uh, as I alluded to in the intro. And it gets a DVD release at the end of October, 31st of October, I do believe. Excellent. Yes, we have. I mean, my goodness, this has been so fun. And it was an honor to, to play at Fright Fest because it's, it's a remarkable festival. And it sheds light on so many different genres that uh, are, are so worthy of affection that they inspire such gatherings in the dark all around the world where people just can't wait to jump and in jumping, jump closer together. So uh, <laughs> thanks to Fright Fest for taking us in. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Now, for those people that didn't get a chance to see The Neighbour, and this will be something that's going to be new to them, do you want to give us a brief synopsis to what The Neighbour's about? Absolutely. Uh, the Neighbour focuses on John and Rosie, played by Josh Stewart and Alex Esso, who are the middlemen in a small-time trafficking operation through the heartland of America. When their aspirations to get away from their vicious lifestyle come to a head, they run afoul of another operation that was running in, a, in secret right next to them their whole time in the form of a neighbor. Bill Engvall is going against type from his uh, reputation uh, in, in popularity and comedy to play one hell of a villain by the name of Troy, whose protective instincts of his own family create a villain that our traffickers could never see coming. It all takes place over one night, and who will survive? We don't know until you check in with your neighbor. <laughs> Were you reading about each other there, Marcus? <laughs> no, not at all. That was off the cuff. <laughs> Now you wrote and directed this movie, and yes. for those people that don't know, you did um, you did the Collector, which is one of yes. my favourites, and you did the absolute over the top bonkersness, which is the Collection, the uh, the, <laughs> the, 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 the the sort of stadium version of uh, Collector. Um, yes, well said. <laughs> um, and uh, so so with this one, this what we've got now, we've got something that's that's sort of a a, a bit more intimate. Again, we've got basically two houses on a country road that are opposite opposite one another. So, what what was it that um, from a screen? If we start with the screenplay, what what was it about this idea that you you kind of that was worming away in your head that got you to this? What where, where did it start for you? Well, after doing the collector and the collection, um, it was uh, a nice challenge to see if we can't take what we've all learned in, in working in some stories and, and films for the last 10 years and apply it to the rules of a thriller. Okay. And that meant not being able to have the gonzo mechanism of a bucket of blood at our disposal or uh, the, the math, the running time math of a kill every nine and a half minutes or a jump every four minutes or something to that effect. Okay. This had to exist with different mechanics, but... Uh, emulate the same intensity and unleash the same amount of terror built with different tools. So that, that was the challenge right then and there to, to lean into. And I, I think if it was the first movie I ever would have made, I, I don't know that it, it could have been pulled off with uh, the quality that 
we were able to get because, man, it took a legacy of getting a few things right and a few things wrong to understand what to do when we came up with the schedule uh, for this movie. We had uh, we had just enough time to get it right, <laughs> and that was about it. But what, what does that mean in terms of sort of getting the story right, then? you know, in terms of you, you designing this world? In that sense, it was, I, I liked the examination of this couple understanding that and, and feeling that they are the villains of a story. Mm-hmm. And they want to get away with, with they don't want that to, to be their, their legacy in life. They think this is a stop along the way. They'll get what they can and they'll break free of it. However, when we think we're bad and we lean into the voyeurism uh, of, this, of this narrative, they're always on the lookout for the people who are more violent, who are worse, who are not only living in the same world, the same current of this trafficking organization, but thriving in it. And they're the ones who show up covered in blood from time to time, but smiling as if it was a Sunday. In this case, we wanted to take that, take those two characters and see if we can't put them in a pressure cooker uh, and see like, okay, what if they, these certain villains, ran into someone far more worse? <laughs> and by worse, we peel the layers back on that. So it's not worse as in simple-minded, you know, violent tendencies, but acting in a more uh, spectacularly morbid fashion because of what is at stake for them. Mm. So in a parallel universe, yes, these are two two people in nefarious deeds, but their stakes are completely different. And their methods for maintaining the safety of what they love are also quite different, but when colliding, the violence and all comes out. And so I like that this was a shade of gray narrative that we could explore, and the more savagery we placed upon uh, the couple, the young couple, the more humanity we had to place in the true villains of the narrative. And in that, uh, the alchemy came together and, and every scene began to crackle with uh, with an energy of of the thriller of a dark edge thriller and that that was our goal and that was that was really fun so then by the time we reached the moments of absolute violence it was a release it was an evolution and in some cases it was inevitable when alex esso has finally reached her breaking point oh boy and that was the most fun to shoot as well <laughs> because she's such a nice person and so talented to watch her uh, unload uh, in scene after scene after scene was uh, was just a joy. Now, uh, the, the, uh, Josh Stewart, who um, who plays John, um, when you when you hand him a screenplay to have a look at, does he does he just look at you and go, I mean, now does he look at you and go, what are you going to put me through? <laughs> well, at least. <laughs> Uh, yes. Because <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen consistently one, one, one actor working with the same filmmaker <laughs> sort of be pulled from pillar to post, literally, in the flesh, and banged around. I've just never seen <laughs> I mean, he's a... He, he is, he's so... He's just a... He's a marvellous actor. He's a... I mean, he's an unparalleled talent. Like, this... And he, he also knows every hat of the production pipeline. He's a great writer. Okay. He's a great director. He's a great producer. And and so you have that uh come all together and then you and then it's like wow and he's he's an above head and shoulders above and beyond uh acting talent as well. What a resource. And so yeah, I'm grateful to be a colleague of his, but I, I mean I am most fortunate to to be his friend. You know, I I just it's, it's fantastic. So you almost have a, a shared reservoir of experience, and if you're ever backed into a corner by a certain scene or dynamic or like, hmm, how do we, how do we improve this? How do we make this more intense? What's uh, and, Or just, are you feeling okay? Can I get you a Coke? You know, great. <laughs> That's there. And ultimately, at the end of no matter what kind of day, I can laugh with my friend, and that's the best. So are you, are you, guys, you guys are friends, as it were, as, uh, before filmmaking, or did filmmaking be, make you friends? It was the collector that brought us uh, into the same into the same uh, mud and the same blood. Okay, and that, okay, that was it. And then after that, I was like, "Holy cow! You just never want to do anything else with anybody else." I mean, this is this is kinship. Fantastic. Now, one, one of one of the one of the, um, one of the fantastic things 
that I've got, and I probably should say actually, as as a, as a measure of, if I'm a measure of anything for people listening who've not seen the film, I, I, in my my Britflix best of Fright Fest, I put the neighbour of the thirty films I managed to see. I put the neighbour at number two in my wow, in my, thank you in my top five of Fright Fest two thousand and um, sixteen. Thank you. Goodness gracious! Thank you very much. Well, that means a lot. I mean, we are we are a little tugboat of a movie and need all the word of mouth positivity we can get, so uh, people are aware. Uh, I mean, in the as a fog light turns on every festival and only a few glimmer back. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you very very much. And the other, the I, I created this year out of my own out of necessity because there was your film and. Um... The, uh, the, unra- the unraveling of the, just the idea of the plot twist and I thought I thought um, I thought one of the great things about what made me like the neighbors so much was your ability to misdirect us I mean you misdirect us right from the get-go if, if well, I was thinking about it before I, before I started this podcast because because there's main bits in the action but actually when I think back to that original opening sequence the very stylized moment where the drug mule sort of arrives in the car, gets the plates changed and goes out, and you introduce our characters, uh, John and Rosie. You kind of you, you're already, you've already misdirected us to what's bad about this film. <laughs> you know? Yes, because <laughs> because obviously they're doing a job because they're almost like um, they're like peasants in a feudal system in a way, aren't they? They're they're, they're captures they're captive they're, they're captured by the, the honor system that exists amongst family and criminals, not not by a desire to do evil. Um, Thank you. Goodness. Well, that that kind of speaks to that scene, and it was one of the last scenes created. Really? Uh, Yes. The original opening was a seven-page sequence introducing uh, Melissa Bologna's character and and the folks we come across later on in the narrative, and it was an abduction scenario, and it was very much of the horror movie. It was, uh, you know, uh, suspense, fright, grab, violence, out. And the echo of it was, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, if you zoom out and then see the entire puzzle, it's like, okay, well, these pieces here are scary and intimidating, but then we meet the characters, and I'm like, huh, what if we did something that showed how our characters react to a violent world, and that inspired... Um, Deborah, the character showing up with her little girl mm. and seeing how in this violent world the sympathy that comes out in complete silence from John and Rosie and it allowed the pulse to stay at a high tempo. So then when we cascade into what they're doing day to day, it, it wasn't uh, as abrupt. It mm. was an extension. It was just like this is we, we see what happens in the barn. What's going on in the house? Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Very yeah. grateful to our producers uh, and financiers for allowing us to make that change in as little as six weeks before we shot. Well, I mean, it, it, it makes for the makes for all the more powerful thriller because you've basically thrown us a, a curveball at that point in terms of where we think the story might go. Um, now, I didn't know watching the movie that. Um, that um, Bill Bill Engvall is known for, say, lighter roles. Oh my gosh! How about that? So, that a, so wow. watching him be—I mean, that's my other—that's the other moment. I went back and looked at my review before we spoke, and in there, I figured that is like a fine moment of misdirect in terms of um, the way the story plots out. His ability to put the bejeebas up, yeah. And obviously, up our heroes, as we've been recon- as we're recognising now, they're they're emerging as is fantastic. Where he where he just sort of tells his story of his observation. I mean, I'll I'll try and I mean beyond the fact that that's a plot point, I won't I won't give spoilers away as to what happens. But it is so lovely the way he gets in, sits down, has a beer, leaves, and he might as well just throw a hand grenade in the room. Yeah, <laughs> and what a testament to Mr. Engvall. Uh, he transformed himself, so even folks that were very familiar yeah. with his persona in comedy didn't recognize him. And if that isn't a testament to someone's ability to become and be a chameleon, an actor, like I think this is only the first role in many 
choices he can make because it's, yes, there is the affable, there is the genuine, there's the kindness and the humor of Mr. Engvall. But with this role, it's he announced himself as a formidable force. Mm. Uh, and yet, in uh, now I can speak to the behind the scenes now that that's all is said and done. I have never had more fun making a movie. I mean, we just <laughs> laughed the entire time. And there's this sort of myth of making the horror film, you know, must be traumatic in some way. And guess it. no, they're actually, they can be a lot of fun. You get to choose your atmosphere, so to speak. Now, what is depicted, yes, ideally is suspense uh, ridden and, and chock full of, of terror, but that, those moments uh, on, on either side of action and cut, that, they really are fun. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So when you, what made you, knowing what, what he was known for, as it were, I mean, I'm asking this now because of what you said rather than what I was privy to going into the movie, um, what made you look to him for the role? Or how, what did you see in, in, the, in, the, in the auditioning or casting that you thought, I, no, he's perfect? I credit uh, Brett Forbes and Patrick Rosati of Fortress for, um, to, for to first like saying like, hey, what if we went in this direction? Mm. And originally the narrative was set on a border town, but once it, it was becoming more and more likely and, and more original to set it in the heartland, okay, that called for a, a different, wider opportunity to, to look. because And, and, and also... This is going to sound really strange, but why not? Um, my head went back to an episode of Miami Vice. Okay. And this, the old TV show. And, and I didn't know of a TV show called Moonlighting or a movie called Die Hard or anything like that. But I saw this episode of Miami Vice where Bruce Willis played a wife-beating arms dealer. Did he really? He, he was so scary. And this was the same skill set that was then turned into charm and humor. And he was Disney's the kid. And yet in this hour of television, this was an entity of evil. And, I was, and, and, and that made an imprint in my psyche about how, huh, people we expect and know and can convey humor, a genial heart and whatnot – when you add violence to their lives in this fictional sense, it hits all the harder, I think, because we know they're capable for good. So there must be some justification. There must be something in their evil that is driving them, that makes the, that forces them in this way. Hmm. So here is Mr. Bill Engvall. And so after uh, and Brett and Pat were like, how about this? And I was like, oh, it really set off a spark in my, in my imagination because I, there was this photo of him in the middle of a, uh, of a comedy show. And he was pointing at the audience. And everything was bright and beautifully lit, but there was a look in his eye as if he was sticking the landing on maybe a joke. But without the sound, without knowing what the joke or the comedic story would be, it was a still shot of someone in the middle of a threat. Oh, right. All based okay. on the eyes and the posture. So, okay. And I was like, huh. Getting into the psychology of somebody that that will go on the road that has built a life and a, and a marvelous life out of bringing light to people and humor, well, that isn't the easiest mechanism to summon because it's something that has to be summoned for a lifeblood episode to put – food on the table to keep the lights on. You drive, you drive in the dark, you stay where you're put up, and then you're shoved out onto a stage. You're, the hottest light they can find is right at your face, and you make a room of darkness laugh, or they get pissed. Mm. So now with that, it was interesting to delve into what is that mechanism? What is in this genial, this father, this protector, this husband, that allows no matter what kind of day comes between leaving the leaving the car and going to the hotel and getting onto the stage, if any of that transportation is compromised, if, if the worst day happens, it doesn't matter. You still have to provide the best night ever for that room of strangers. <laughs> and I felt like, huh, if that is a switch that is perfected by the professional nature of this humorous man, 
then what happens when we flip the switch the other way? And that became uh, very inspiring for like, why don't we try that with a villain? So did you, so was conversations on set about sort of getting to that, or did he come to you with thoughts about what he'd seen on the page when he read your screenplay? Uh, talking with him inspired the, the more, gosh, it inspired all the more moments of uh, paternal protection of humanity and even uh, directly inspired the scene of dad acting as director to his youngest son. Uh, the line, it's not what you do with the hammer, it's what they think you're going to do with a hammer. A brilliant line, yeah. And and that was, it came from a point of caring and quiet direction. And so I thought, this is a family pretending to be something else. And yes, the action and their decision to take part in this is evil. But their methodology isn't built on that. They're trying to maneuver out of the dark here. They're trying to do something that gets them away from it so they can be what they really want to be, what they were, which was a functioning fine, middle-class Americana family. Well, their middle class was wiped out. Their matriarch was wiped out. Their backs are against a burning wall, and this is the only way they, they feel they can function. So, okay, that level of humanity then became vital and, and allowed a villain not to be a villain, but really just a family tree that's been drowned in, in misery. And, uh, you know, these characters have been told to accept their lot in life, go out in those barren woods and die. Who cares? There'll always be more, like Doritos. <laughs> no, they're like, no, we're not going to do that. We don't have to play by the civil rules of life. We can make our own, and maybe we'll survive. Yeah, no, because he, he's, he's, he's like a lesson in how um, measured you can be without ever having to really raise your voice, you know, all the while the, the, the tension from the audience's point of view is always, is always, he's hooking you on the menace, but like you say, his, his, his methodology actually is from a point of view of aspiration, isn't it? It's not, it's not destruction, yeah. is it, at all? Well, there was something, and this is, you know, like a, just a thought where, like, every villain, you know, every villain out there that cinema or television, comics have taught us, like, is their goal really in the moments between the beginning and the end, destruction nonstop, day and night? No. They still have a favorite cocktail. They still have their favorite pajamas. They still are seeking some <laughs> comfort, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No. They're not all defined by the first jilted broken heart in high school and therefore want to just blow stuff up. <laughs> no, no, totally, totally. I mean, I, I had this conversation recently about um, Hans Gruber in Die Hard. You know, yes. There's an argument There's an argument you could have. If, if John McClane hadn't got involved, less people would have died. <laughs> yeah, well, how about this? Die Hard is a Friday the 13th movie with a gun instead of a machete. Cool. It okay. So it was kind of like it's a slasher movie, but our hero is the slasher. Yes, yes, he's picking off the villains. Yeah. Yep. And every kill is more elaborate than the next. And every, I mean, the dialogue between that and like Nightmare on Elm Street Four <laughs> isn't that different. <laughs> what? I've never, you know, I've never drawn a parallel. You're going to have me doing this now. I'm going to be looking. Now, that's a good segue for me because uh, one of the things I want to look at, because one, one of the things where, one of the similarities between the neighbour and, say, the collector is, I mean, have you got a past that is elaborate DIY and cables and gears and the like? Is this oh, what, uh, do you grow uh, up in a panic room? Well, how about this? I did grow up in a panic room. <laughs> Why? Thank you. <laughs> I will say this: I was part of a of a group in uh, I think it was must have been high school, mm -hmm. and in the basement of my friend Sandeep Malungi's house, we were tasked with uh, building uh, a Rube Goldberg contraption, and that was uh, several teams of students uh, in. They would pick a house, any house, 
and they would make their own Rube Goldbergian device, and then the professor and the other kids would go from house to house and watch the Rube Goldbergian devices spring and then judge which one was the most elaborate or whatnot. Okay. And it's, it's been fascinating. Like that, that was probably a seed moment that grew into more and more of a fascination with, huh, you set this up and set that up, and they both collide, they'll cause X, like the mathematics of tragedy in a way. Yeah. But, or uh, there was also you know, a, a number of those. Uh, he started to see it popping up in pop culture in, in any number of ways. The Roadrunner. Goodness. It was a backfire machine. All these elaborate plans, <laughs> always rendering uh, a villain, Wiley e. Coyote, to dust. Okay, and so yes, in that it was it was always kind of there, scratching at the scratching at the imagination to be like, hmm, how could this go wrong? <laughs> cool. No, you know this is. I don't know the reference you're making, but I understand what you're talking about. In Britain, oh, uh, we, the Rube Goldberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Rube Goldberg. Oh, it was uh, the Rube Goldberg is essentially uh, the the, bit, the easiest equation would be to like setting up dominoes to fall in a pattern. No, no. I was, so, was going to say in Brit in UK when I was growing up as a kid, we had a German professor called Heinz Wolf. Oh, and he had a TV show called The Great Egg Race, which was people building these elaborate things where you set it off and you know it would deliver on what it was meant to deliver on at the end, as like a more elaborate version of Domino's Falling Over. So it would, oh. so you, you could YouTube that, and you'll find plenty of it, and you'll probably go, yeah, that's what we did at school. <laughs> Man, I see a buddy comedy, Wolf and Goldberg. <laughs> but, but thinking of that, though, you, you, you taking that idea, but then putting it in the hands of someone who is trying to do bad. I mean, in, in, in The Neighbour, I suppose... The difference between the neighbour and just to differentiate the neighbour from the from the collector, it is about security rather than about aggression, rather than about being aggression, being the aggressor. It's sort of it's a needs must as opposed to I want you in my trap. It's supposed yes. to be a fair difference, isn't it? Absolutely. Where the collector, yeah, the collector was coming for you. It was the uh, the human embodiment of a spider. Uh, the spider, you know, kind of this this. A protector of humanity, yet feared by humanity and many, and elephants. <laughs> but a spider in your home is not a bad omen. It is actually hunting. The spider hunts for flies and other um, anomalies of the atmosphere in a home. And so I, I am one where I take the Time magazine or the uh, envelope and try to settle it under one of the eight legs and let that thing try to scurry up towards my hand and just before it reaches skin offer it the door and let it back out into the wild where i think it will have more prey <laughs> um, so the collector was what if a spider was in human form and was regarding humanity the humans of this orbit as flies and would just set up webs just see what it could what it could catch what it could take hmm. and and in it finds a fascinating opponent in a thief. Wow. This thief, this cat burglar, like, I've never caught a cat. What would that take? Hmm. <laughs> and, and, I, and then I graduated to two guys dressed in black meet at night. Game on. And they're both villains, but one is a villain of a horror film, the other a villain of a thriller. And that was, that was a great dynamic to, uh, to unleash. It was nice. But in but as 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 the neighbor pans out, you 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 use similar similar moments of of elaborate contraptions. But, yes, but it's but it's it's not to trap, is it? It's uh, and I'm just wondering from your from your point of view, are you, have you just got a roller decks now? Do you do you constantly when you get these brain thought brain waves, you go, oh, that's a nice way for things to hook up and stuff? Or are you are you because I'd be interested to know, like, on, on, from a technical point of view, on the page. How does it look? <laughs> you know the the oh. idea of when you do your, especially in the neighbor, because it's more in the neighbor. You don't. This is all hidden and then revealed, isn't it? It's not. It's not like it's obvious. Well, uh, in, in terms of a couple of those things, that we made sure to frame them in and have them 
all, all in every single shot. We even do a little tilt up at one point. So a no, certain you definitely set us up. You definitely set us up. Say the door. I think that's the door. You yes, yeah, absolutely. No, it, you, you definitely set uh, us it, up for a payoff. And it and it was kind of just doing a little bit of geography and a little bit of that. So it's not. It wasn't into the Tex Avery extreme that the collector was where you walk into a room it's empty you walk back through it and all the bear traps are open like hungry metal mouths Mm. this was well in a landscape where having five to seven guns and as many knives as you can carry isn't uncommon in, in actual real life if these are hunters that you know hey hunting is 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 a way of life as well then home security would probably have a little more of an advancement, <laughs> especially once you understand the secrets being kept within that home. Mm. It's not as much about keeping things out as sometimes keeping things in. <laughs> true, true. No, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Uh, what, going back to what you were saying before about the kind of the middle-class family or, that was with their back against the wall, um, it, it struck me that, that a lot, I mean, I think setting it in the heartland rather than on the border town makes for a much interesting, much more interesting idea. I can't, I, I, obviously, I've not, I didn't see that idea as you're developing it, but as you've said it, I just can't imagine how that would be better than the idea of two houses across a country road. So yes. they're, they're, they're the epitome of isolation, but yet they're on top of each other at the same time. And both of them, both of them in the end, reveal themselves to represent the end of the American dream in a way. Not, not quite as dramatic as, say, uh, as um, say the tall man does it, where the town itself has decided it, can, it can't sustain itself and there's somebody just taking its poor people away to give them a better life. But, but where the people have gone, like you say, you know, fuck it, we'll do what we can because nobody's creating opportunities for us. And if it means breaking the law, well, so be it. Which do you think? Do you think? I mean, I know it's a work of fiction, but do you think you're saying something there about America right now? Well, there. Uh, as much as I wish it was all fiction, uh, most of the uh, notes that inspired what unfurled on screen was based in truth. Really? And yes, and and that, and 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 kind of that a ravaging that casually happens over time, and it's. You know how it's 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 when you find the darkest cockles of the heart in the heartland, it, it's it, it just man, it, it's revolting, mm. and and so the to to have a movie then invite people into the dark and show yes, el- elements are cranked up so it can become cinema and be classified as entertainment. Yeah. But I I also w- want it to just not be a secret. You know, like maybe. You never know how you're going to reach or what image or what point does uh, extend beyond um, those 80-odd minutes in a theater and maybe has a ripple effect or allows you to you know, take, take notice of some anomalies in the environment because it, it's, it's, it can be shocking what happens in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I, guess, I guess the funny thing is, not, not in a funny ha-ha, but in a, in a disturbing way, the way that urban society has developed, you, you've kind of pointed the camera at the last vestiges of, of where there's no CCTV. You know, I live in London, you know, I can't move 50 yards without it being picked up by something. Whereas, obviously, they, they live in a world where they can wander for miles. Absolutely, and that is also something fiercely protected. Mm. Uh, in that... It's I, I gosh okay. Do we really want a camera in our bathroom, bedroom, or even in our car when we desperately have to pick our nose? No, you know <laughs> there are some things we actually want to do with our privacy that are completely innocent. Yet once that threshold is crossed and the door is open to observing everything for a greater good, hey. The results can get intimidating, can get misconstrued, can can become entertainment in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, it almost always begins with uh, the simple act of looking and observing what's closest to you to see if you can discover one of those undisclosed elements. <laughs> so the movie itself is like, hey, um, this is going to take place in, in the Midwest, in the South, 
and we want to see some darkness happen. I mean, when you go and you see the poster and it's a mask made of missing persons flyers, you're not signing up to hear a joke. You're going in there yeah, yeah, yeah. to spend some time in absolute darkness. So then it was fun to take a character and two characters at the point who are voyeurs in their own right. So now we're in the movie theater watching a movie about people who watch other people to try to hide the worst of themselves. And uh, are there folks that are there to see the ending of this movie if it ends on an uptick? Or are there folks savoring for when things may not go as planned and end up with dire consequences? Um, and then to have the villains actually be staring at each other and judging their misdeeds, like, if you're going to judge me, you better judge yourself, because we're all here in the dark together. <laughs> We've all got our secrets, which I think is a lovely yes. line. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but you're right, though. I mean, I, I, funny enough, I've just read a book called uh, The Circle, which I don't know if you're aware of it, by David, Dave Eggers. No. Uh, it's an American book about that notion of if we don't all wear cameras then what are we hiding? So it starts off with politicians have to wear them all the time. Oh, wow. And then it becomes, it's like a Facebook googly world. And it's that idea of, if you don't want to be seen, then what are you hiding? So it's not like as innocent as like you say, like actually, casually, every now and again, I will pick my nose, I don't need you to see it. Yeah. Which is obviously not a crime. But therefore, the, the assumption in this world is that we must be visible because what have we got to hide? Or... The world needs to know. The world needs to know what you thought of an under-14s little league basketball game, you know? You can't Absolutely. just watch that and let it pass. It can't mm -hmm. just happen and, and nobody else know. I mean, like, funny enough, last night I did a Q&A at a cinema in, Bright in Brighton down the south coast of Britain, and I hosted it, and it wasn't recorded and it wasn't filmed. Now, if you weren't there, you didn't see it. Now, often, most of them, you do them. They're, they're recorded, aren't they, for you know, people because the systems are... And it was just a weird feeling. When I left, I thought, wow, that's just all been left in the room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So people who came and bought a ticket got that value, but nobody else gets to hear it. Not that it was fantastic or bad. It was just that... It just dawned on me that for the first time in a long time, it hadn't been documented. Wow. Well, it, you know that... And often when that happens... I think guard drops and folks get a little more honest and less, or not even necessarily more honest, but when the guard is down and let's say you're, you're swapping uh, stories of production mm. or about someone's work, it, it, it gets a little more human. It gets a little, it sounds as if it's coming more from the inner voice than the prepared, manufactured, make sure the tie is straight and every hair in place <laughs> marketing of an answer. But it's but it's interesting, isn't it? That, that you, you that as, as, and I guess this hasn't changed. If you think back to say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, back in seventy four, you know the whole thing there was here's the city going back to the rural, and the rural is going to take its revenge because the city is full of people that want to destroy their way of life. And obviously now the city has destroyed the rural way of life. It still it hasn't it hasn't made the rural way of life more progressive in some senses. And I'm not, that isn't a criticism. That's, that's kind of like, you know, the value of privacy and freedom is, is something to behold. And you don't give it up easy. But in this world we live in, and what makes your film The Neighbour so menacing is that we know that if we were there, we would be vulnerable because who's going to help us? And you obviously heighten that by the other elements that you show that conspire with the, with the bad, bad guys to go, oh my God, the bits that we rely on, they're in on it too. So what do yeah. we do? So not only am I isolated and away from CCTV and phones and, 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 and more people, but also the people that I trust to protect me, they're not going to protect me. Which well, is like, kind of, that's society on its head, isn't it? Well, it's also like a, a twisted interpretation on it takes a village. Uh, <laughs> Go on. It takes a, yeah, like it takes a village to help that young kid grow into a fine citizen. But it also takes a village when an entire state or land is left to corrupt. It takes a lot of people doing nothing about it to make it so. <laughs> so, so really what you're saying is you've done a micro allegory of what happens if Trump gets to be president. Uh, it, <laughs> you know... <laughs> You said it. <laughs> from 
from uh, uh, I'm fascinated by the notion of two houses on a, on a road and two houses with a telescope and they ain't looking at the stars. Where did that idea come from? Uh, that was in, in the in the impetus of coming up with the uh, how how these guys were going to be adversaries. Hmm. Um, it it seemed like an organic bow to tie on how the mechanism of how we observe and and how they spot the land and it was like huh it also was a critical step in bridging the two factions closer together mm. making them line up whereas by the by all the reveals at the end of the story this is more about two people on the same track and yet it just depends which side the camera is on depicting it because depending on the moment you would flip-flop your vote for who should succeed. Mm. But by the end, our heart is engaged by acts of kindness, acts of sympathy, and then only achieved by severe acts of violence. All right. <laughs> I guess that's how it goes. And the, the, the just the simple gesture of an innocent device used to look up at the stars, used to get, nope, it's reduced to a voyeuristic needle poking into the private lives of others. Which, again, I mean, again, it's a lovely touch in the kind of, in a, in a low-tech world that you've set yourself in. You give us, a, you know, how old are telescopes? You know, it's, they're not, they're not the, the highest of tech kit, are they? Yet, they are the thing that bursts the seam on this story, aren't they? The, the, two, the, two, the ability to recognise what each other's been doing just from a telescope is, is really powerful. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think so too. But also we, we tried to keep uh, the methodology as analog and, and vintage as possible mm. because I, I, was, I was watching a comedy actually and the, the twist involved how is this person getting away with uh, these financial misdeeds and never being caught? How are, there's got to be a method to keep track of all of it. And the twist wasn't a humorous twist. It was actually a brilliant twist uh, in a comedy. Uh, but it was by using an old, non-air gap, just plug it in the wall computer. Mm. And the way they were hiding their present was by using technology from the past. It was the wild, wild west technology before there was an internet that allowed us to do, uh, to look into everywhere and, and to create the open doorway. It is, you can look in or you can look out. So now for every article that says, hey, cover up the cameras with a piece of tape in your laptop so they can't see you. Oh, got it. Here was, here was this analog method of, wow, that is kind of how, and it's not even analog. It is digital for sure, but it, it, this was a vintage method. So then, okay, that informed the scopes. That then informed what type of vid, uh, video camera was used. Not one that's on a phone that can be bounced to a cloud. No, something that's plugged in, something that's tape, something that doesn't have a traceable element. Then that opened the door for Super 8 photography. Super 8 film is something you can develop in your own basement, and no one's the wiser. People don't even assume film exists in a lot of, in a lot of places, yet they're still out there. And so it's, it's, just a, it's a way to not be found by hiding in the past. Nice. Now, now for what is for what is largely um, a bunch a bunch of brutish men doing brutish things, you don't you don't shy away from giving um, Alex Esso uh, a chance to shine in that machismo environment. Was that always was that always integral to the story? Did that come as you developed the notions of where the finale, how the finale was going to pan out? Well, her character, Alex's character, and I say Alex's character because, boy, did she make that person her own, uh, inspired the amount of obstacles thrown in her way. Uh, that was, the intent was always there for uh, that character to provide a, a, a pivotal moment of uh, violence to change the course of uh, the third act. However, the intensity and the duration and the execution of it was entirely inspired by what Alex Esso was bringing to the table. Really? And the same with Melissa Bologna. Uh, 
when Melissa Bologna does something that involves these handcuffs, that was actually real. She could do something that, uh, without giving too much away, mm. that was very similar to that. So, yes, there was some special effects makeup, but no, she is not only a, a, a wonderful heart and a kind soul, but, I mean, Melissa's a head-to-toe athlete. And so there was a physical ability there to punch through uh, a lot of the violence. So it was earning moments and giving her more and more and giving them more and more to do and confront. And then Jacqueline Fleming, that part was originally written for uh, to be a male. Oh, really? So Officer Burns was to be a guy, and that felt like a tipping point moment of, well, now we're that movie where all the guys are bad. And, all, and I, No, it is much more... Fascinating to see someone, and I, and I kind of equivocated when once we had Jacqueline on board, that she was Atlas in this world, and she was holding it on her shoulders and doing, pivoting where she needed to to sort of keep things on a track that was controllable, maybe even understandable, maybe even providing her own way out. But when viewed from the distance, so much as a foot away, you're like, whoa. There's a capability for menace here that we never saw coming. And that, therefore, inspired her monologue, her, her whole thrust, and it made a transitional point where the, the, the alpha male-dominated expectation yeah. is completely subverted, and the bringers of life teach everybody what it's like to take one away. Do you know that? I mean, the way you describe it, that's, that's almost like the, the textbook example of what Gina Davis has been trying to encourage people to do, hasn't she, with her notions of equality in film is just that role that you have as a man, just make it a woman, and you're already making your film more interesting. It's, yeah. not, it's not rocket science, is it, in a way? Yeah, and, and it, it informed other you know, changes and, and whatnot, but we'd never changed the name. Mm. We added more, and it, and it made it all the more fascinating. How, I'm fascinated how, how I mean, because I, I write myself, and I'm fascinated by how you kept sort of a tally. Because one thing that happens in, this, in the film, for those that haven't seen it, is that as deaths start to amass, and I won't say how they fall, it is like, it is like the story logic is going, it's like swinging one way and then the other. You know, like, we're going to go, this is what's going to happen next. Oh, my God, they've died now, so it can't go there. So how did you keep a tab on all your different, your potential story threads that obviously some were, at, were, were red herrings because you obviously know what your final destination is. But you were setting up these lovely red herrings, which is where the story may or may not be going. But as you killed people, and it's like, oh, there's less options. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I, I, that, that, was, uh, that, was, uh, that was anger. That was uh, <laughs> leaning into the anger of it. And... And knowing that when life does deal an uncertain hand, that's mimicking the feeling of that. Mm. Sudden changes and gear shifts and just like wham, wham, something's going to keep swinging at you until you fall or take it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this case, it's like, wow, we through that, those acts of violence, we were going to bond our, our key characters together. And, and that became, okay, that became something... Um, that galvanized uh, how it was going to go, and so trying to make things feel inevitable and, and 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 crushing forward, great. So even when you do get a modest breath to be like, oh, it's surely it's over now. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was that was how I felt watching it. Oh, great! Wow, thank you. Well, <laughs> well, look. Um, let's remind people that they that the neighbor is available on video on demand now and will be available for people who like the physical in the UK on DVD on Halloween, 31st of October. Um, and as a little push, it, from my point of view, I'll repeat it, I had it in my, was my number two in my top five of films at Frightfest this year. I thoroughly enjoyed it and can't wait to see it again. So I can then watch all your setups like like a textbook. I can go, okay, that's what, oh, that's what you did. Because I obviously picked some of them up, but I didn't get them all. And I was like, and I want to, I want to go. It's like I want to go back and see, see where all the other hidden things were. So, um, no, I thought it was a really intelligent film, really dark, really entertaining. It wasn't without wit, and you know, your 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 pay your ultimate payoff was was um, was very satisfying. So uh, I couldn't recommend this film high enough. 
Oh, well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us in the dark and uh, shedding light on the neighbor. Uh, we're, we're thrilled with it, and it, it's so vital to have moments like this where the word gets to get out because there's only more and more movies coming, and we're the little tugboat out there. So thank <laughs> you. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for finding us. And, uh, man, hello, UK. Thank you for Fright Fest. Wow, this means the world. Thank you, thank you. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes. Hey, what's going on? If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we release it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to stream from on the website. This has been a Britflix Flightfest preview podcast 2016. If you are listening to this podcast through iTunes and you've got five minutes to spare and you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave me a review and a comment. It will really help to publicise and promote the Britflix.com podcast and get more people to hear what you enjoy. Thank you. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.